from Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries. This is the Gary Talks About God podcast. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to John 13. John 13. We will be down in verse 16 in just a moment. That's where we're going to start. But as you turn there, if I say the word traitor to you, who comes to mind? Now that I've given you a few seconds, by show of hand, who thinks Benedict Arnold? Anybody? Did that? A, a few of you. Okay. For the remaining of you, for those who didn't raise their hand, who thought of Judas, thank you for showing us who the super spiritual people are this morning. <laughs> yeah, see, I knew some of you would be like, I, I, it's Judas. We're in John 13. It's, it's Judas. I'm going to be ahead of Gary. We know who you are this morning, right? But I, I, I'm not surprised that many of you raise your hand for Benedict Arnold, right? He is probably the most famous or, or at least the most remembered traitor in our history. Um, do you realize he didn't start that way? If anybody knows history, he, he led part of the Continental Army. He was given a commission to serve, and he is well known for his many victories for Ticonderoga. You probably have at least heard of the fort if you don't know about the battle of Valcour Island, Bemis Heights. I mean, he won a lot of battles to the point that George Washington called Arnold his fighting general. So George Washington, the founder of America, if you want to put it that way, knew Benedict Arnold and, and respected him for what he could accomplish. So impressed, he actually appointed Benedict Arnold to be the commanding officer at the fort at West Point, right? But in the story of Benedict Arnold, we don't really remember that, right? That, that's not where the story ends because we know that Arnold becomes disillusioned with Washington, disillusioned with his commanders. He used his position for personal profit. He resented not being elevated through the ranks of the army, and so he decided his interest would be best served helping the British instead of what he considered to be an ungrateful country. He betrayed his country, his friends, and his soldiers. Later, Washington called this treason the black set or the black test die. Or excuse me, blackest die. I can't read my handwriting this morning. The blackest die. Because it was just so incredibly dark that he did this. He went on and you're going to, to label Arnold and his actions saying he was nothing more than, quote, a money-grubbing agent of Satan himself. When we come to John 13, <laughs> we're actually going to read about another, well, money-grubbing agent of Satan. We read the story that Many of you are familiar with the story of Judas Iscariot, one who is part of the innermost circle, yet one who is willing to betray his Lord. Let's read verse 13, excuse me, verse 16 down to verse 30. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the Scripture will be fulfilled. 
He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him and to ask Jesus whom he was speaking of. So that disciple leaned back against Jesus said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. What you are going to do, or excuse me, then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said these things to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Judas was telling, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. This morning, as we walk through this, I want you just to... Two key points as we study to think about. And the key points are this. I'm going to go ahead and give you both of them, and then we're going to walk through each one. The first is Jesus fulfills all Messianic prophecies. And the second one is Jesus wants us to know that he's the Messiah. So when we come to this, the first point, Jesus fulfills all Messianic prophecies. And we come here and we read about Judas. We all view Judas as a perplexing figure, right? On a personal level, when we think about betrayal, when someone does that to us, I mean, it's just, it's an abomination, right? I mean, we would use that word. We talked about Benedict Arnold, and while what he did was, just as Washington said it, the blackest die, it was horrible, it was awful, it wasn't personal to us. We don't feel it that way. Even later in, in our history, uh, when you have someone like an Aldrich Ames or, or a Robert Hansen, you, you go, man, I can't believe they did that. But it, it doesn't feel the same when someone does it to us. It hurts differently. And we shake our heads at, at what they are doing and, and going, I, I can't believe you did this. And we do ask the question, and because it's a betrayal, it's a legitimate question, why did you do this to me, right? Sometimes that question, you know, why me is not the right question. But for a betrayal, it is because it's personal. It's directed against you. It hurts. So we take that betrayal that we can recognize on a personal level, and then we come to Scripture, and it's elevated now to a theological issue. It becomes even more perplexing. You know, we, we look at it and go, well, why did Judas do it? We are confronted with the fact that Jesus knows the hearts of all men, right? So why didn't Judas, or excuse me, why didn't Jesus stop Judas? Did Judas have, have a choice in all of this? Could he have not done it? Could he have repented after? All of these are good questions. And when we come to answer those questions, we have to answer it through the lens of fulfilled prophecy. 
And this is where, when I keep saying to you, you have to read your scripture, read your Bible, read scripture carefully. This is one of those instances. Because if you don't read it carefully, you're going to miss something very, very important in verse 18. Look down at verse 18. Jesus is speaking, and he says, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. Now, in the ESV, there's a comma after fulfilled. And if you're not careful, you know what you're going to miss next? You're just going to go, all right, he. But you're going to miss a single quotation mark. And that's really important. Because that single quotation mark tells you that Jesus, though he is speaking, he is quoting scripture. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Jesus quotes Psalm 41, verse 9. Psalm 41, verse 9, and really all of Psalm 41, all of Psalm 41 was written about David, and it's about David being betrayed. Specifically in verse 9, David gets that and he's reading it and says, man, this, this close advisor of mine, this friend of mine is going to lift up his heel against me. He's going to turn on me. And David is just astounded that this would happen, that someone so close would do this. Even my close friend whom I trusted. Even my close friend. Now we know that as David is writing Psalm 40, 41, and he talks about his close friend. We, I think we know who that is. It's a man by the name of Ahithophel. And we're introduced to him, and you don't have to turn there, you can jot it down in your notes, but 2 Samuel verse 15, verse 12. It says, Absalom was offering the sacrifices. He sent for Ahithophel the Gileonite, David's counselor, all right, did you, did you see how it just elevated to Psalm 41? It's his close friend. How close? So close that this man gives the king counsel. If you're given the king counsel, you're a close friend. You're not on the outskirts of the king's court. You're, you're in the king's court. And so we're quickly introduced to him in verse 12. But then 19 verses later, just, just 19 verses later, we read that he is one of the conspirators, that there is a conspiracy going on against David, and he's part of it. Right? He, he's part, you, you're, just, you're introduced to this counselor, and it's interesting the way that, that it's told. And it was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. The first time we meet him, he's a close counselor. The second time we meet him, he's conspiring against his king, against his close friend. And you go, why in the world would he do that? Now, I'm going to take you on a very quick side journey to answer that question because Scripture tells us. And it's a fascinating answer. Because if you go to 2 Samuel verse 23, or excuse me, 2 Samuel chapter 23, and you're reading down through there, David is listing all of his mighty men, his closest warriors, 
people that he goes into battle with. And in that listing, we're told that one of the mighty men, his name is Eliam, the son of Ahithophel. And you go, okay, well, I mean, it makes sense. He's a close friend and a counselor. Of course, his son would be one of his mighty friends, but that still doesn't answer the question. Well, the, the question is then answered in 2 Samuel 11, verse 3. I'm going to read verse 2. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And this is who she is. It's not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. What is Ahithophel's relationship to Bathsheba? He's her grandfather. He's her grandfather. Not justifying what he did, but there's your answer. And so we see how personal betrayal can become. And you come back to John chapter 13 and, and Jesus quotes Psalm 41 as somebody who is close to Him. Well, who's the closest to Him? His disciples. And Jesus is saying one of His disciples, one of the twelve, is going to betray Him. And yet, while David didn't know, Jesus knew. Right? We have to wrestle with that truth. Jesus knew, right? In John 6, verse 70, I chose you the 12, yet one of you is a devil. He says in 12, 4, in, in that parentheses that Jesus, or excuse me, John gives us, he was who was about to betray him, talking about Judas. All of 13, Judas betrayal, Judas betrayal, Judas betrayal. Jesus knows this. And it's had such an impact on John that writing years later, he keeps bringing it back up. Every time Judas is mentioned, the one who betrayed Jesus. And the only way that we can make it make sense is to come back here and read verse 18 and see that Jesus said from his own lips that this is going to happen, that Scripture may be fulfilled. This is a fulfilled messianic prophecy, right? But even then, did you catch it that the disciples, it doesn't clear up the disciples' confusion. Do you, see, do you see all the confusion with the disciples in this passage? They didn't know what Jesus was talking about. They don't know who it is. They don't know what he is doing. They don't, they don't know anything. They're uncertain. So Peter, right? Peter does the Peter thing, right? Remember, we talked about how they're eating. They're at the, probably a U-shaped table. They're reclining. The disciple who Jesus loved, which is most likely John, is leaned up against him. And so, I, I, again, you know me, I think in visuals, I, I just kind of see Peter over at the, you know, in the corner. Right? Y'all have done that, right? Y'all have done that at family dinners where you're not sitting next to the person, but you're like, That's what, that's what Peter's doing. John, ask him. Ask him. And so, so John does. He says, you know, John says, Lord, who is it? 
Jesus says, whom I dipped this morsel of bread, and I've dipped it. And even then, the disciples still don't get it. They still don't see it. And you, you know, why don't they see it? Because they cannot imagine that this is going to be an intentional betrayal. Right? You read the passage in Matthew that, that talks about the Lord's Supper, and after Jesus says this, remember all of them go, Lord, is it I, is it I, is it I, is it I? They cannot imagine that this would be a deliberate act. All they can think of is it's going to be an accidental act, right? We've all read the movie or uh, read the book or seen the movie where somebody's they 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 say something that gives them away, right? It's just that slip of the tongue, where if they hadn't said anything, they wouldn't have been called. And so the disciples are thinking, Jesus, if you tell it, tell me it's me, then I'm going to be really careful about what I say so I don't slip and accidentally betray you. Jesus, if you tell, it, tell them it, it, it's me, then when I leave and I'm walking back, I'm going to make sure that nobody's following me. I'm going to do some surveillance detection runs, and I'm going to do some switchbacks and cutbacks and hide behind some bushes and maybe duck into a door or something. I'm going to make sure that nobody follows me so that they know where you are. Jesus, just tell me, and I'll do anything that I can so that I am not the one to betray you because I don't want to do it. They don't see it. They do not understand that it's going to be a purposeful act. And it's going to be a purposeful act to fulfill Messianic prophecy. Psalm 41 speaks of it. Psalm 55 speaks on it. Zechariah 11 verses 12 and 13 speaks on one that will betray Jesus. But we're back to the question we asked earlier. Well, what culpability then does Judas have in this? If, if it was prophesied, you know, what's his role in this? Well, his role in this is he betrayed Jesus. His role in this is that he went and did it. He was not a robot, but he chose to betray Jesus. And in doing so, Judas was the instrument that God chose to fulfill prophecy. And we know that Judas did this. Scripture makes this clear. Matthew 27, verse 3 and 4. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned. I have sinned by portraying innocent blood. I find two things in that statement fascinating. One, Judas admits that even though Jesus was talking about one would do it, Judas says, I did it. But secondly, did you notice he can't even call him Lord? Right? Doesn't even call him teacher. He was just innocent. Whatever he is... He's just innocent. I know that. I'm not going to call him anything else. Judas says, I did it. I did it. So when we look at the character of Judas and we see that he is fulfilling messianic prophecy, we need to realize and understand he is responsible for what he did. And at the same time in his responsibility, he does not receive Jesus. Right? The end of, of John 13, verse 20. 
The one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Judas doesn't receive Jesus, right? John starts his gospel off this way. Jesus comes into his own, and his own received him not. Judas says, no, I'm not going to receive you. And he becomes an example. He has fulfilled prophecy, and he is an example of one who does not receive Jesus. So why is all this recorded? Why does Jesus keep bringing this up? Well, he keeps bringing this up because Jesus calls people to believe that he is the Messiah. Right? You go back through and you look at all that is happening in this passage and all of Jesus' interactions with Judas. Jesus is not treating Judas like somebody who he is just ambivalent to. Right? Jesus is, is interacting with Judas in a way of a Savior calling a sinner to repentance. Judas, most likely at this dinner, is sitting in the place of honor. It's why Jesus can just hand him the bread, and we'll come back to that in a minute because that's important, why he can talk to him where nobody else notices what Jesus is, is saying. Jesus, over and over as he is speaking, and, and remember, Judas is there. Jesus washes his feet. He keeps saying, one's going to betray me, 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 one's going to betray me. You want that? Why would he keep bringing that up? Because he's keep looking at, at Judas saying, I know what you're going to do, Judas. It's an invitation to Judas to come and to repent and to receive Jesus. He keeps doing this over and over and over. Judas. I need you to believe that I am the Messiah. I've come to save you. I can offer you the salvation that you want. But Judas is unmoved. But Jesus is not. Did you catch verse 21 where it says, After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit? And he, that, That's saying that Jesus had compassion toward Judas. Right? We've all taken the attitude of, well, you got what was coming to you. You've made your bed, now go lie in it. Right? We don't get that with Jesus and Judas. Jesus, knowing what is about to happen, is still pleading with Judas to come. I mean, and his spirit is troubled because this is a spiritual battle. It is a battle of light versus the dark. And Jesus keeps putting this before Judas. One of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to betray me. My, my spirit is troubled. One of you is going to betray me. Hey, Judas, I know that it's you. The other 11 don't. I know. You know. We both know. But Judas, this is a spiritual battle of light and darkness. Which side are you going to choose, Judas? Which side... Jesus takes the bread, dips it in there, and, and, and hands this, this, this piece of bread to Judas again as a sign of honor, the host feeding it, offering him the food. And then that, that's, that's again, that's one last simple act of love that Jesus is showing to Judas. It's not too late. It, it, it's, it's, it's not too late, Judas, but the choice 
is before you right now, you've got to decide. You can either rush forward and execute your evil plot or you can renounce that evil plot right now. But you've got to make a choice. And Judas makes his choice. He knows what he is going to do at this point. But in all those interactions, Jesus is, is continuing to point to him and say, come, come to me. Right? Come to me. And you go, well, if Judas had, how would prophecy be fulfilled? I don't know, but it would have. But I know that Jesus is a Savior that is calling sinners to repentance. And when sinners come to Jesus for repentance, He grants it to them. But Judas is not willing. He's not willing to believe that he is the Messiah because he keeps going down that path and keeps making bad decisions and he can't reverse course. Now, I know none of you have ever done this where you make a bad decision and you know what you need to do to fix the bad decision. You know what the right answer is. And the right answer presents itself and you do the wrong thing again. And you're right there and you're going, man, I can't believe I did that the first time. That second time was really stupid. The third time it presents itself to do the right thing, whether the right, right thing is, is getting up and, and going to confess your sin, going to put back what you took, whatever it is, it's time to do the right thing. And you do the wrong thing again. It becomes a point where it becomes easier to continue to make the wrong decisions than it does to make the right decisions. Right? We, we all know this. You know, as, as a parent raising our kids, and I, I know other parents sympathize, we, we've all told our kids this, you know, sometimes it's difficult to make the right decision, but the right decision needs to be made. Because when you keep making the wrong decisions, it becomes harder and harder and harder to make the right one. And that's the path that Judas is on. He is so far down that path of making wrong decisions that he can't look with the Savior looking right at him, giving him the bread, saying, Judas, here, come to me and I will save you. Come to me. Believe to me that I am the Messiah. And really, even if Judas had went out that night, and, and we know that he does and betrays Jesus, afterwards it's not too late. And we know that that's true because we got Peter. A couple of verses later, Jesus looks at Peter and says, you're going to deny me three times before the, uh, the rooster crows. And Jesus is, Judas, uh, Peter's like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm never going to do that. Far be it for me, Jesus. I don't know him. I don't know him. Then he, then he turns into the salty fisherman, right? He goes, let me tell you in, in you know, very clear fisherman terms, I don't know him. But where do we find Peter at the end of John? We find him on the seashore with Jesus. 
coming back to him. And what does Jesus do to Peter? He says, Peter, I got an assignment for you. Come here. See, Judas could have repented. He could have come back. Because Scripture is full of sinful people doing sinful acts and experiencing the forgiveness of the Savior. Doesn't mean that there's not consequences. Doesn't mean that everything is hunky-dory and everything is, is, is back to the way it was before. But we have a Savior who says, I have come, I am the Messiah who has come to forgive you of your sins. And the first forgiveness leads to redemption and salvation. But then we have that beautiful promise of continued forgiveness. Right? Whoever is faithful, I am faithful and just. If you come and, and confess your sins to me, I will forgive them and place them as far as the east is from the west. We have all these beautiful promises of, of Jesus teaching us that He is a forgiving Savior. And we see this demonstrated so beautifully with Judas. Judas, just believe that I'm the Messiah. Just believe me. But he reaches up, he takes the bread, he eats it, and we're told that at that moment, Satan entered into him. Satan found a willing vessel. And at that moment, Judas completely sealed himself off from Jesus. He just says, that's it. Jesus says, leave quickly, do what you're going to do. And so, so Judas does, and John, in just the way he ends this section, the last part of verse 30, right? John just says, and it was night. And it was night. And we immediately think it was evening and it was dark, and yes, I'm sure that it was, but that's not what John wants us to see. The darkness was not a physical darkness. The darkness that John wants us to see is the darkness, uh, the spiritual darkness that Judas now finds himself in. That's the condition of Judas's soul. It was night. And when Judas gets up and leaves the mill, he cuts himself off from the light of the world. Remember what Jesus says, I am the light of the world. If anyone who comes to me will never walk in darkness. And Judas gets up and leaves and says, no, I don't want the light. Instead, I want the darkness. And he seals himself in that darkness. The darkness that we read about in Matthew, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, that outer darkness that is separate from God. Judas seals himself there. But the disciples are still confused. Right? The disciples are still confused. They don't understand. He's the treasurer, so he must be getting up to go buy some more food, going to go do something for the poor. He's doing something in his official capacity as the treasurer of one of the twelve. Even at this moment, because you've got to remember, John is not writing a diary. John is writing, looking back, remembering what has happened. But in this moment, when it happens, John's thought is none of the disciples think it's Judas. They still completely trust him. They trust what he's going to go do because from every appearance, Judas is one of them. 
And that's what makes being betrayed so painful. And it's elevated to another level when you're betrayed by somebody who wears the moniker of a Christian. Right? It's just, it's, it's, it's devastating. I could tell you stories this morning of brothers in Christ who, who I know who you feel betrayed, who I feel betrayed by their actions. But the pain is, is, is still there. You'll read an article this week somewhere where somebody who is a pastor or a church secretary or a Sunday school teacher who does something that betrays Christ. And it's just, it's painful that someone that, that wears the name of Jesus would betray Him like that. Right? And we can go to 1 John 2.19, right? We can go, and, and you remember when I keep saying that sometimes you've got to remember what we know as opposed to how you feel? 1 John 2.19 is, is, is where we go to. It reminds us of what we know. They went out from us because they were not of us. But you know what? Even though we know John, 1 John 2.19, it doesn't take away the pain because it hurts. When we talk about Judas, we're told in Acts one twenty five that Judas turned aside to go to his own place. He didn't want anything to do with Jesus. He found Jesus lacking. And even today when people that you know or I know betray Christ, it is because they find Jesus lacking. They get to the point and... and you know, instead of Jesus being who Jesus is, they get to the point where they, have, they come to a realization Jesus is not who I want Him to be. Because right? we have this image of what we want Jesus to be, who we want Jesus to be, and when He doesn't bring it to us, we don't look at ourselves and examine our souls and our hearts and go, well, was it me? We go, no, it must have been that Jesus fella. Right? That's why this morning there are some of you who are here that, that your, your faith amazes me. Because I know that there are some of you here who have prayed for healing for people that didn't come. And you're still here. But I know people who prayed for healing that didn't come. And you can't find them. We know people who, who come to, to Jesus and when Jesus doesn't bring the wealth that they thought they walk away. Jesus wasn't what they thought he was. We we know people, I know, I know people who, who walk away from Jesus, and right now it seems like the, the, the newspaper is just is, is filled with stories of people walking away from Jesus because he doesn't bring the, the quote unquote freedom and, and libertinism for them to engage in whatever sin that they want to. So obviously Jesus is not who I thought he was. So I'm going to walk away. When Jesus isn't who you think He is, and whoever Jesus wasn't to Judas, it puts you in a dangerous spot. 
It puts the disciples in a dangerous spot. They're they're in a a place of disbelief. And then it's going to, the trial is going to happen and the crucifixion is going to happen. You have disbelief upon disbelief upon disbelief. And in those moments of our lives, it's dangerous. When we look at people around us that we know and we love and we worship with and we've prayed for and we've walked with, get up and walk away from Jesus there might be a moment that creeps into us that goes, maybe this Jesus guy isn't all he's cracked up to be. Maybe it's not who he says he is. And that's why in verse 19, Jesus makes sure that we know who he is. Right? Look at verse 18 again. Right, Verse 18, Jesus is telling everybody, look, somebody is going to betray me. Right? I want you to know this. I want Scripture, you know, Scripture's going to be fulfilled. But look at verse 19. Verse 19, he explains verse 18. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place. So let's stop right there for just a moment. What is he talking about? He's talking about the betrayal. He's talking about when Judas walks up in the garden, singles Jesus out, and Jesus is arrested. And everybody, all the disciples look around and realize the traitor was Judas. He says, I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, what? That you may believe I am. Now, I really don't like the ESV and the NIV and the others where they add the word he after because when they add the word he after, it takes away the punch. Because what Jesus is communicating to them in that statement, in that sentence is, when this betrayal takes place, I want you to know that I am. I want you to know that I am am God in the flesh. I am the one who has been sent. So when Judas does this, and you look back and you realize that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't just a hapless person in all this, that I knew that it was going to take place, that, that I knew what Judas would do. I don't want it, disciples, to shake your belief in me that I am And it's the same message for us today. Because as I said last week, we can't take chapters 13 through 17 out of the context that Jesus is dealing with the disciples. So when something takes place, when something happens in your life that shakes your faith, when someone that you know walks away from the faith, when a religious leader lets you down. We don't let it shake our faith because in that moment, we know that Jesus is I am. He is God in the flesh. The one who has come down for the express purpose of fulfilling God's plan of salvation. Don't let the betrayal of others, those who betray the name of Christ, keep you from understanding who Jesus is because he has come so that we may know that he indeed is the Messiah, the one sent 
by God. It is said that Benjamin Franklin, when writing about Benedict Arnold, said, quote, Judas sold only one man, Arnold three millions. But actually, it's much heavier than that, isn't it? Judas sold out the I am. But thanks be to God, it was all part of the plan for us to know that He is I am. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website at www.redbankmbc.com. If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us.